the one thing that I don't want to hear anyone listening to this who's in financial services cop out and say, oh, no, no, I can't build my brand. I'm in a highly regulated industry. Nonsense. That is, a, that is an excuse. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 157th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Douglas Burdett to the show. Douglas is the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, where he interviews authors of best-selling marketing and sales books. So if marketing and sales books are your thing, Listen to the Marketing Book Podcast to get even smarter, and I promise that you will continuously increase your knowledge, which is exactly what we're going to do together for you today on the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. Welcome to the show, Douglas. Good to be here. Before we get into some of the the best books that you've read, and you've read a lot, you've had a lot of conversations uh, over, over the past year, really going all the way back to 2015, and the insights that you've gained. I just want to start off. What is good for you personally or professionally right now? Oh gosh. I, you know, it's funny today I was participating in some sales training that I've been going to for 15 years and they were talking about goals and you look at all these different types of things. And I I, I had, I was struck by gratitude. (laughs) So a lot of good things, you know, financially, health wise, family, dogs, lots that's, that's really good. And I, and I guess over this last year and the, all the change that's been brought on by the lockdown and so forth, I've once again, uh, felt a sense of, uh, of gratitude because there are a lot of people going through some tough times out there in, in various ways. So uh, I, I would say it's all good, yo. I love it. I love it. And, and, you talk about this idea of looking back at where you've been and, and being grateful in the present moment. I'm curious about how you got to this present moment when it comes to the books you've read, the conversations that you've had. What's the story behind the Marketing Book Podcast, which has been named by LinkedIn as, as one of the top 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer? And by far, Forbes is one of the 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know. What inspired you to start this journey going back to 2015 in the first place? It's a great question. It's a real personal reason that I'll share with you. But I can remember years ago, I met, uh, I think it was Mark Hunter at a sales conference. And he's he's an author who's been on the show twice. And he said to me, he listens to the podcast of all things. He said, are you making money with the podcast? And I said, well, uh, gosh, I, I don't think that's why I started it. And uh, maybe, I'm, but the, the reason why I started it and why I continue to do it is that I came from an advertising background. I worked at these enormous ad agencies in New York starting in the 1980s. 
then uh, ultimately uh, started my own firm 20 years ago, and it was very much advertising. I mean, it was if there were other things clients needed, we would bolt it on and, and take care of them, but it was advertising. And I started to notice things were changing. And even though I was still chugging along with these advertising clients, um, I was having to bring website people to client meetings. And mm. they were asking me questions about uh, fads like social media and the internet. No, I'm kidding. Those aren't, <laughs> those aren't fads. But I was starting that's, to feel... That's like the metaverse today, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. So I was starting to feel a little bit like I was growing dinosaur scales. I was starting to feel a little more irrelevant. So you think about an ad guy, and that had been my whole world. You know, television advertising, all kinds of other advertising, and I loved it. And so it really bothered me a lot. It bothered me more than most people, this feeling of irrelevancy. I was too... Uh, young and immature to retire. I'm still immature. Uh, but I went back to doing what I had done when I got out of the army and I went to grad school and I just started looking at all these different books and looking at different careers. And I uh, didn't quite know where things were going. And I stumbled upon an early edition of David Merriman Scott's book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR. And there was sort of a cloud parting eureka moment. And I said, ah, that's where it's going. That's, I felt like I got a second bite at the career apple and I pivoted my business to digital. And we even, we, we buy hardly any advertising for clients now. And I, I didn't stop reading the books at that point. I mm. kept reading them because it so frightened me. It so bothered me that I just was so, I felt so out of touch. And so I continued, uh, you know, reading uh, what I thought were the latest books, and I realized I've got to get back to continuous learning. And so I always like listening to podcasts, particularly marketing podcasts. And I guess my favorite thing was listening to authors of books being interviewed. So I thought, you know, maybe I should try this podcasting thing. I've read so many of these books, and I've met a lot of these authors. I looked on GoDaddy and marketingbookpodcast.com was available. So I took that as a sign from on high. And my very first guest was David Merriman Scott. I started this podcast in the beginning of 2015. And uh, every Friday since then, I published an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book. And what happened uh, was I had read about the first 10 already. And then I got to about the 11th book and I realized, wait a minute, I'm actually going to have to read every one of these books. <laughs> on this show. And it was kind of like uh, that feeling when you miss the turnoff on the interstate and right. you realize you're going to be driving for a while before you can do anything about it. But it's, it's just one book a week. And I kind of set up to do that. And it's just been enormously helpful. And I feel like if I'm continuously learning that I'm not so much adrift at, at sea, and then it's been able to help clients and it's, it's helped me. But then the thing that really sustains me is almost every day, from around the world, I hear from listeners who I've never heard from before, and they say, hey, I've been listening to your show for a couple of years, um, even guys like James Robert Lay, and uh, they, uh, they say, hey, I've been listening to your show for a while, and uh, it's really helpful. You know, it helped me get a promotion, or you know, I, 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 I've listened to every one of them, and I'm just yeah. thinking, why, my goodness, nothing's better than knowing that you're helping someone. Absolutely. And so I, that, that's why I do the podcast, and that's why I 
continue to do it. And also the other thing is um, we're both, we're both friends with David C. Baker, who's the author of uh, the business of expertise. And when I interviewed him a few years ago, as you know, uh, he is a member of Mensa, which yes. is the highest IQ people. And at the beginning of that interview, I said, you know, when you walk into a room, any room, it's very likely you're the smartest person in the room. And I said, I have never, ever felt that way. <laughs> so the more that I learn, the more I realize I have more to learn. And I just never uh, have felt like the smartest guy in the room. And I've worked with a lot of really, really uh, smart folks. So there's a, a saying that, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you still have yet to learn. So that's, that's kind of the groove I'm in. Absolutely. And as, as you're unpacking some of that, I, you know, thoughts are just flooding my mind. I, I can't help but think about Jim Maroos. And Jim talks about how he has undergone this continuous transformation to stay relevant. He's had multiple versions. And even coming back to David Baker, I pulled up something that David recently wrote. He said, my own biggest fear isn't financial ruin of any kind. It's irrelevance. So David defines success as always learning, always improving. And if I go down still learning, I'll be able to live with it. And I think that's... Yes, I saw that. That's great. Yeah. And I think that's where sometimes like, you know, we're going to be the the teacher. We're going to be the guide. Other times we're going to be the student. But in either experience, there's always something to be gained to make us and others around us even better. And I'm thinking now, as you're unpacking some of this, it's almost, this This is, your podcast has been a forcing function for you to continue to learn, to gain knowledge. And, and I can't help but think of one CEO um, at a bank that we have uh, coached and have advised his team um, over the last probably 12 months, 14 months, more or less. And I know for him, he reads a book every week like yourself. And I could see the CEO also starting a podcast as a way to communicate internally because they have about a thousand employees or externally, uh, they've got about 80 branches and, as a way just to transfer knowledge, expertise, build trust, relevance, all of this comes back into play. I'm a big believer that the personal brand of an individual has the potential in a digital world to be just as important as, say, the corporate brand as a way to build trust. People do business with people. What have been the biggest lessons that you've learned on your podcast journey? And we'll move from here in a bit to get into some of the conversations that you've had, but this is just fascinating for what you just downloaded. And I'm thinking about one particular banker and, and, and maybe a couple more that I've had conversations with who are big readers themselves of taking what you're doing and applying it to the banking space and their little communities. What have been the biggest lessons that you've learned and, and how have you stayed committed to something like this over a period of time to when I think that others, it's easy to kind of fall off the trail? Well, it is a forcing function. It's sort of like having a workout partner where you know you're going to meet at 6 a.m. at the gym or whatever, you know, or, or running friends, you don't want to let them down. Right. So that, there's, there's that. And I also have a lot of fun doing it. So, you know, in lieu of a midlife crisis, I started performing stand-up comedy. I'm all better now. Thank you. Uh, but 
I'm actually, as I'm reading these books, I'm actually writing jokes in the margins that I could tell during the interviews, just because that's, I, I love, I love doing that. So it's a lot of fun, but you know, um, it's funny you mentioned that about banking and obviously your audience is really keen on that and financial services, but I ran into a, <laughs> I went to a Christmas party recently with a client and I ran into some banker friends and I was reminded how they have all probably worked for at least 15 different banking brands because I'll say, now, where are you? And I said, are you at such and such a bank? And he goes, no, that was, that was three banks ago. And it's not because they were jumping ship all the time is the banks kept getting acquired. Correct. And then at the same time, I have this other friend who he and two other bankers, they all seem to kind of move together and they had a growing commercial lenders, growing book of business. Yes. And <laughs> the some of the banks they've worked for aren't even around anymore, but they are. And that's why I think that in this particular line of work, uh, your personal brand is even more important um, because you don't, you, you really can't rely on your bank to still be around. Even it might be acquired uh, or you might have, I ran into another guy at another uh, Christmas party. I guess you get the impression I party a lot, but I was at a, another party and I ran into this former banker of mine and he, I said, are you with that, you know, financial serve that he and some other guys went off and started this uh, advisory company and with Wells Fargo. And then they left them and started their own all by themselves. And I was just thinking, uh, of course you have, you know, you, you just keep, uh, you just keep moving around. And I think that the personal brand is really important. And there have been a few books on the show uh, about building your personal brand. And uh, one of them is by Dory Clark. She's, I've interviewed her four times. Uh, and her book is called Stand Out. She mm -hmm. wrote a book, her first one, she's written literally a trilogy, but now she's written four. But the first one was called Reinventing You, which is a great book about somebody that kind of needs to reinvent themselves. She was a journalist and was fired on Monday, September 10th, 2001. Oh, wow. The next day was 9-11, and sh she has ultimately become uh, you know, a paragon of, of reinvention, becoming this author and, and expert. And then she wrote a book called uh, Stand Out, which is very much about what we're talking about, like building your brand, becoming known for something. And then the third one was called Entrepreneurial You, where she writes about how to monetize that. I, I think Stand Out is a great one. There's another uh, great book by Mark Schaefer, who I've interviewed seven times on the Marketing Book Podcast, and he wrote a book called Known, and it was just brilliant. So those are those are two books um, that I think would be very helpful. And the one thing um, that I don't want to hear anyone listening to this who's in financial services cop out and say, and I kind of have a feeling if they're listening to this podcast, they wouldn't say this, but they'd say, oh, no, no, I can't build my brand. I'm in a highly regulated industry. <laughs> Nonsense. That is a, that is an excuse. I mean, you tell me, but I, I, there are, there are people in uh, pharma, there are people in financial services, there are people in uh, other highly regulated industries who are able to build their own brands and become known as an expert. And ultimately you become 
uh, the kind of employee that every CEO wants and can't afford to lose. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. You know, as you're going through that Marcus Sheraton, who we were talking about before, before we hit record, he came over and addressed that same exact concern in episode number 83. This idea of don't let regulation be what stops you from building a personal brand. I literally had this conversation with Paul Long, who is a commercial lender, and he is doing some of this stuff. And he just doesn't talk about the banking side, but he talks about the expertise, which back to David Baker, The Business of Expertise is a a great book for the dear listener to really look at how to build around this expertise. And back to your point on on, uh, Mark Schaefer, Uh, Mark Schaefer had a conversation with him in episode number 98 about the most human company wins. And so I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's so much potential to learn uh, from just these conversations that we're having you and I, and don't let fear hold you back from achieving your full potential. Because I think as a banker, whether you're in the marketing side, the sell side, the leadership side, you have knowledge, you have expertise that can truly transform someone's life to help them achieve their full potential, to move them beyond financial stress towards a bigger, better, brighter future. And you're almost doing the world a disservice by letting your own fear stand in the way. And as a natural result, growth will come from that. Speaking of of, of key trends and patterns that you're seeing here from conversations, and you've already referenced a couple of good books around this idea of the personal brand, maybe let's move up to a macro level because I think as today's as of today's recording, you've had 361 conversations uh, of your own with with authors and the books that you've read. What might be some of the the top three most powerful ideas, insights that you've been able to package up for a marketer, for someone in sales to help them to help them grow? The, the things that, you know, you ever heard the expression, um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yep. There are, there are trends that I, I see over and over. So I start to do this thing that David Baker, David Baker on the brain. Pattern matching. Pattern, pattern matching. Yes. <laughs> Damn. You know, uh, it's like you and I are brothers from another mother. We were separated at birth here. But so um, one of the, well, before I get to those three, let me mention there is something that will possibly hurt a lot of feelings of your audience. And I hope you don't lose them because I, what about I'm about well, to say, let me, let me, let me put your mind at ease with this because <laughs> I, one of the things I always talk about the, th- I call them the three T's for transformation. 
and there's so much hype around digital transformation. And I believe personally, human transformation must precede digital transformation. In fact, because we lack human transformation, that's one of the reasons that digital transformation fails historically 60 to 85% of the time, because it's not the technology that, that fails, it's the people. And it's not that people are failures, it's just our, our, our ability to deal with change at the pace that it's, that it's been occurring and will continue to occur. It's, it's where some of the challenges are so the the very first t of, of of transformation is just telling the truth telling the truth about where you've been where you're at and where you could go next and it's not that we're here to hurt people's feelings we just we have if we don't tell the truth we will not transform we will not become even better we cannot grow from good to great if we don't tell the truth so that's me that's me putting your mind at ease douglas so what you're saying is your audience can handle the truth. They can handle the truth. And if they can't handle the truth, well, then we might lose, we might lose, you know, a thousand here or there, but we'll make them up somewhere else. Yeah. Oh, I'm full of book recommendations. Uh, a great book on digital transformation is Howard Tiersky's Winning Digital Customers. Really, really well done. Um, so the, let me talk about the problem though. And that is marketers have an image problem. Oh, yes. And and, and it's, it may not even be uh, accurate or true, but there is a widespread perception of marketers as being arts and crafts party planners who work in the make it pretty department. And uh, that is, you know, born of ignorance, but it doesn't really matter because perception is reality. And there's just so much uh, misunderstanding and, uh, you know, uh, not really understanding what marketing can do, particularly all the, the aspects of, of modern marketing and how it's gone from, it, it used to be very much about the promotion of, of something. Now it's much more about those first three Ps, product price and, and, uh, and position or, or distribution. But there's been a number of books uh, that talk about how, you know, there's a very small number of people on boards of directors with marketing backgrounds. A lot of CEOs don't come up through marketing. And they just, they're not really very familiar. And there was a study by Fournay's group several years ago about uh, perceptions of CEOs, perceptions of marketers by CEOs. And 80% of CEOs do not trust their marketers, their CMOs. And what that meant was it didn't mean that CEOs wouldn't have the CMOs watch their children or, you know, house sit for them. <laughs> it meant that they did not trust that marketers understood the financial realities of the business they were working for. And that's just a real indictment. And I've seen it over and over again. Salespeople are often thinking the same, uh, the same thing. So uh, there are a number of books, again, on the show that talk about, you know, all this, this sort of thing. And I think to, uh, so, so we, we've set the stage, the, the conflict of the story, there we are, you know, just, it's like uh, if you are a fan of a particular sports team and you meet someone from the their rival, you just have this perception of people. Yes. And it's not necessarily accurate, but that's just the way, you know, the way you might feel. So, well, there are. We, we definitely are brothers from a different mother because we're thinking the same exact thing. And I, even in banking on digital growth, I wrote about the problem for marketers is they're viewed as either a glorified in-house Kinko's or worse 
kids that just play with paint and crayons. So I love how you're articulating this because it is so true. You talk about the board of directors problem. Not many marketers there or CEOs. They typically come up in the banking space or credit union. They come up through uh, like the CFO route um, or the finance route or the lending route. They don't have the, a marketing perspective. So we're, we're in 100% agreement with with the problem here. Yeah. So the reason I say that is not to upset people, and I'm sure your audience isn't upset, but it's just always be mindful of that. Always be mindful of that. It's like, um, you know, people who've gone to certain schools. Mm. Uh, Like, for instance, I was an army officer at one time, and I didn't go to West Point, but I had a lot of friends that went to West Point. And those, most of them were really careful about not talking about that. Right. You know, because not everyone had that opportunity and it was misunderstood and they just they just were sensitive to that. Mm. So I'm saying the same thing with with marketers. So there are uh, three things out of, you know, gosh, 100 that we could talk about. But the, the three that I wanted to mention were uh, focusing on your company goals and your customer and continuous learning mm can dramatically increase a marketer's impact and influence. Um, so let me, let, me, let, me, uh, let me unpack those three things, as the kids say. So uh, company goals, I speak to a lot of uh, marketers, and they are not able to tell me what their company goals are. And I, I think they've got their heads down, they're working hard, but they're really almost 100% focused on activity. Mm, the doing. And the doing, yeah, the execution of it. Yep. Um, and there was a book on the show uh, a while back uh, called Marketing Flexology by Angelina Jaspers. And it was a beautifully written book, only uh, 150 pages. And I'm the only guy that keeps track of how long each book is because <laughs> I read each one. <laughs> but it was really beautifully done. And she looked back over, gosh, probably a 40 plus year marketing career. And she identified the things that the most successful marketers always seem to have. And she also looked at what the, the failures all had. So I, I would recommend that to your, to your audience. And one of the things is what she called a company first mindset. Just over and over and over again, she saw that the most successful marketers understood what the company was trying to accomplish. And she joked that you can't build a marketing career working for an insolvent company. So if you're only worried about your department, your head count, your budget, without understanding how that's connected to what the company's doing, you will fail. So when we talk about, um, you know, a company first mindset, what most specifically that means is something that was talked about in another book called The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader by Barda and Barwise, which is a massive study of marketers and the people who work for them and the people who hire them and so forth. And back to the, the thing I said earlier about 20, only 20% of CEOs trusted that their marketers understood the financial realities is in their book, they said the number one way to solve this problem, of course, is not easy, but you get in the revenue camp, mm. get in the revenue. That 20% of marketers, they are in the revenue camp. And it means that they are uh, ideally able to link what they're doing to revenue, which right. is hard to do. But you, if you, even if you can't do that initially, there are certain things you can do to better anchor your activity with what the company is trying to accomplish. And one of them is to, this is another one where <laughs> I know you have a very well-behaved, very professional audience, but one is 
I don't want to hear you say you can't build your brand in a highly regulated industry. And the other one is if a marketer says, well, I was never told this information, you, you get out. <laughs> you're, you're in the wrong line of work. So you may not be told this information, but you need to go find out. Correct. Okay. What are our company financial goals? If you're a marketer and you don't know that, we'll start, start a journey of finding that out. You will immediately separate yourself from the rest of your organization. Now, I think people in your audience probably have a better idea of that because they're financial organizations. But still, you know, like what are our company sales goals? Uh, who is our most profitable customer? There was an entire book on the show about anchoring your marketing to finding out where your most profitable customer is because way too many companies are hemorrhaging money going after customers that are not profitable. You'd be surprised. And I've done some episodes around this, some solo shows just with my own personal thinking of, for example, lifetime value. What's the lifetime value of a retail consumer account? What's the lifetime value of a commercial account? What's the lifetime value of an auto or a mortgage? That was actually chapter 12 in banking on digital growth, because if we can connect those dots, now we're back to your point, we are getting into the revenue camp. And that's how we transform marketing from being viewed as a cost center to a growth center, because we're able to connect the doing with the actual results that are informed by the thinking back to your point on company strategy. Right. And you are, uh, you're a moving target when you're a marketer and people are always saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that activity? Well, what you don't want to have to say is, well, that's what we were told to do. Or, you know, I can understand why you would say that. But if you can say, well, we were told to take that hill to use a military term. Correct. So that's, this is how what we're doing here is going to help you take that hill. Uh, that's, that's very helpful and it helps you to, um, advocate for more budget, but it also lends clarity to what you're trying to do because otherwise, if you don't have that kind of direction, you are, you're committing random acts of marketing and those are, those are deadly. And back to the military thing, the, the, the joke I like to tell sometimes when I'm giving talks is, you know, I was an artillery officer for a few years after college as overseas. And I'll say, you know, what, what are the most important things for artillery? You know, the big guns, the cannons, the howitzers, and people will say things, well, uh, you know, ammo, uh, gunpowder, uh, water, fuel, food, training, and all those things are really important. But the most important thing to the artillery is a target. Yeah. Without a target, you are completely worthless. Very true. And so maybe that background I had is what makes me want to find out, well, what are you, what are we trying to accomplish here? What hill are we trying to take? So the, the first one is to understand more about what your company is doing. And I, I think a lot of, I can almost guarantee that if you as a marketer are going off and asking your organization and trying to, uh, maybe it hasn't been told to you, but you're trying to infer what the financial goals are they will start to see you as a different kind of person. You'll, you'll be considered more as a, more as a business. So that, that's the, the first one is understanding what the company is trying to accomplish. Um, and I think that it baked into that is this thing called marketing leadership. And what I mean by that is not charging up a hill with a platoon, but it's, you are sort of quietly walking the halls, you're 
constantly uh, teaching, you're listening for problems, and then you're helping people uh, achieve them. They don't necessarily uh, know what you do. Um, and I think like we were talking about the expertise that a lot of your audience has, a lot of people will say, oh, but everybody knows that. No, no, they don't. Yes. Do, do not assume that they know what you know. But more importantly, uh, people appreciate that. And you will start to get more of a, a, a place at the table. So l- let me go to the, the other two quickly, because I know we're, we're pressed for time here. Um, the, the second thing I talked about was the customer. Be, be the customer expert. Okay. And just a, a real quick story. There was a, there's a listener I have in uh, New Zealand who contacted me some years back and he said, yeah, I used to work in marketing and he, he went off and did something else. And I can't recall what it was because I, I think I want to get back into a, a marketing role and I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts and I'm actually interviewing at this company. And I've, I've been able to talk about some of the things you've talked about on your podcast. And I, I really appreciate that. And I said, wow, I, you know, he's a pretty sharp guy, <laughs> like a lot of our listeners. And but, but he later came back to me and said, Hey, I got that job. That's great. You know, and you're always telling your listeners, are there any books you can recommend to, to contact you? And he said, uh, he's working for some uh, uh, engineering company related to water filtration, some sort of B2B technical thing. And he goes, is there a book I could read about that, that you know of? And I said, well, I'm afraid I'm stumped there. I don't know about that particular area. And I'm sure there are uh there is quite a bit you can learn about and you should learn about your products, but you've got a lot of engineers working for your company, a lot of experts, and they're probably going to forget more about your product and your technology than you're going to be able to learn there. Um, why don't you become the expert on your customer? Mm. And I gave him uh, I recommended a book uh, that he read called buyer personas by Adele Ravella. Yes. And, uh, and we could talk about that, but, he and I, I think I pointed him to a couple other resources and he said, thanks. And then again, I don't know, four or six months later, he contacts me again and he said, I did what was in that book. My goodness, I can't believe it. When I'm talking about the customer, everyone's quiet. They're all listening to me, even the salespeople and the engineers. I have a seat at the table now. Yes. I'm, the, I'm Mr. Customer Expert. And so he said, you know, it worked, it worked. So my, my point is that uh, the more that the marketer can be the expert on the customer, it's a major uh, source of leverage and strength and, and expertise. And when I say that, it doesn't mean go ask your salespeople or your commercial lenders or, or whatever. There have been book after book, and I can recommend lots of them to your audience, uh, basically you've got to go talk to your customers. Yes. Now it doesn't mean sit down and ask them what kind of barbecue sauce they like. Uh, you're in Houston. So I had to, I had to say that it's, you know, there's the certain insights you want to get, but it doesn't take that many to start to understand where the friction is in their life, what irritates them, what they like, what their expectations are. And there've been a number of studies over the years that I've read about in these books. Like there was one by Bain where they uh, looked at, 362 companies and they asked the executives at the company what percentage thought that they were providing a good customer experience and i think it was like uh 82% said yeah we think we're having a, a good customer experience well then what bain did was they went and interviewed customers of those companies only 8% yes. of customers said they were getting a good customer experience so there's a a big gap there and you know, if you can understand, and I don't mean like 
let's say you're working for a bank or a credit union and you say, what does our customer want? I don't want to hear people say, oh, they want uh, mobile banking or that. No, they, they don't. They want a lower credit card rate. No, 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 no. I mean, go past that. Go way past that. Understand what their latent anxieties and desires are. What are they worried about? Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of great resources out there, but if you can become the customer expert, you will have a lot of power. You will be doing your, uh, company well, and there's just been book after book on the show that talk about how companies that have the deepest insights into their customers always win. And you don't have to be an expert. You just have to understand your customers a little bit more than your competition. Yes. And and when you demonstrate that in the sales process and in the content you're providing and the questions you ask of your customers, it doesn't take much for them to think, I like these people. They get me. They understand me. So when I say, you know, you focus on your company goals, understand what they are. Um, and then understand your your customer. And I mean that on an emotional, on an emotional level. And then uh, the third thing I want to talk about was continuous learning, which kind of takes us back to the beginning of this conversation where you and I were talking about continuous learning. And in that same book I mentioned uh, by Angelina Jaspers, one of the things that she saw the most successful marketers, the trait they had is that they were uh, continuous learners. And she, I believe it was a, a study she quoted in the book about um, uh, something Corn Ferry had done like 40 or 50 years ago, where they analyzed all these executives. And it might have been only 15 or 20% that were focused on continuous learning, but a but they over-indexed dramatically in terms of CEOs. Right. So when you talk about that CEO who was reading a book each week, you see that a lot. People who are continuous learners tend to go to the highest levels of uh, of their businesses. I can't help but think of, I literally just facilitated a coaching session for a, a credit union who's been in our banking on digital growth program for six years now. And they started by coming to a workshop that we hosted in Houston. Now all of that's gone digital, but I made the comment. I said, you're in the positioning that you're in because you're con committed to continuous learning. You're committed to continuous mm -hmm. education. You're not getting stuck in the cave of complacency. And it's that new knowledge, that new insight that keeps pushing you forward. And you might be in some uncomfortable situations every now and then, but, but, but just like, you know, being the customer expert, I can't help but think of a conversation that I had with John, uh, Jane Clays and Renee Newman, and they were talking about going on a listening tour to literally go out and, and ask questions. I teach a, um, uh, what I call the go all in on people because that's part of human centered growth, all being an acronym. We like Blair ends talks about Blair topia. Uh, I talk about digital growth topia. Um, and in digital growth topia, we have acronyms galore because it's the only way that this ADD mind can actually remember things that I say. So I have to create like little rules for myself, but going all in is a great way for continuous learning, tying it back to being the customer expert where you ask, get really good at asking good questions. You listen to what people are saying 
And then you can also just learn through observation, not by just what they say, but also by what they do in the context of financial services. And you're 100% correct. It's more than just, I want a lower rate on the auto. It's like, what are the pains? What are the questions? What are the concerns? And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, what are people's biggest hopes? What are their dreams? And then figuring out a way to communicate a bridge, a path forward to guide them beyond that present state of conflict, confusion, frustration to a bigger, better, brighter future. And I think that's also what we were talking about to begin with this conversation. It's, and it's really neat how it's come full circle. It's almost like a J.J. Abrams production where, where we've literally gone uh, in, in, in a 360 loop. But it is continuous learning. If, if, if we could leave the dear listener with something very practical from the role as a marketer, as a sales leader at a bank, at a credit unit, at a fintech, to continuously learn, to continue to elevate themselves, what would that one thing be? And, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and throw one out myself, and I would love to get your take on it. My recommendation would be to to listen to the uh, uh, listen listen to the marketing book podcast because I feel there's a lot of knowledge that they can gain from you very practically. But what would be a recommendation you would have on your end over there on your, on your side? Well, and on the marketing book podcast, the host is not the brightest bulb on the chandelier, but his guests are phenomenal. <laughs> and he has enough sense to just let the guests talk. Um, kidding aside, I do read the book. And so I try to pull out questions that I think would be of interest to uh, that are interesting to me, but also to uh, listeners and also what there's so many myths around this line of work we're in. I, I, I try to help people understand what, what the myths are. So uh, in terms of uh, continuous learning, uh, there are, you know, we talked about a workout buddy, a running buddy. Uh, there are various certifications you can be taking to um, even put on your LinkedIn profile from outfits like uh, Google if it's relevant to what your role is, or even uh, HubSpot. I mean, we use their software and they have this uh, HubSpot Academy and it's got, gosh, maybe 20 or 30 different certifications. And they're not about their product. There's, I think, only a small number. You have, you have to be a customer to have any value there. But they they teach uh, all about all these different things. And you can, they're really, really well done. I know the folks that work at HubSpot Academy and they analyze as good marketers do, all those types of things. And you can start to um, build this culture in your organization, or it's like, let's say you're a supervisor and you want folks to start learning on a continuous basis, assign them uh, a certification every quarter and take it. You could do a lunch and learn. Uh, you know, the Marketing Book Podcast does come out every Friday. Um, there are things like that. Like I said, Google, that type of thing. Um, you could set up book clubs at your organization, but you finally, you know, the, the HubSpot, one of the co-founders, Brian Halligan, I saw him on this one video on one of the certifications, I think it was a couple of years ago. And they were asking him, they, they're a multi-billion dollar company now, and they've been very successful and their culture is very celebrated. And he said, what is the number one thing you look for when you hire people at your marketing and sales software company. And he called them learn it alls. He said, we look for learn it alls. I just thought that was so That's interesting great. where he said, we want people who are continuous learners who are able to teach themselves, figure out what needs to be done to help us or our clients and go do it. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Be, be, don't be a know-it-all. 
because we'll never right, know it right. all. Be a learn it all so that we can at least just be one percent better. And I think about James Clear and Atomic Habits now with with being one percent better than we were the day before. For someone to continue the conversation, and Douglas, thank you for the knowledge and the insight, the wisdom that you've imparted on on the dear listener today from all the conversations that you've had um, over the last, uh, was it seven years now you're going on, going back to t- 2015. Um, what's the best way for someone just to connect with you? Once again, you have your podcast, but is there another way that they connect uh, and just say hello? Yeah, uh, let's connect on LinkedIn. Um, and I say that I say that in every episode of my show, I say, you know, if, if there is uh, a specific book recommendation I can make, I don't want uh, you or any of your listeners to have to read 350 to 400 books to find that one or two <laughs> books that, that are going to help you right now. Please let me help you. Um, so I can send you I can tell you or, or any other resource that I know of not all aspects of marketing are in, in books these days. Uh, for instance, the latest on a particular social media platform, um, unless it's about strategy, you need, there's some other places you should go. And I'm happy to, to direct folks there. The one thing I would, some Douglas Burdett on, on LinkedIn, the one thing I would ask though is please include a message when you connect, when you send me an invite and do that for anyone. Uh, because yes. unfortunately I get a lot of these, uh, spammy messages. And I, I just, I, I had to stop connecting with everyone that was connecting with me. Um, and I'm not even sure, I think it's a lot of bots. I'm, I'm not even sure how many carbon based life forms uh, are actually doing that. So do that on Twitter, a marketing book, but uh, otherwise, if you go to marketingbookpodcast.com, that redirects you to the section of our agency website uh, about the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you, Douglas. Connect with Douglas. Learn from Douglas, and we will all continue to grow together. Douglas, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. My pleasure. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.